to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to episode 46 of the Life Lessons podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. My husband, Saga of Eric, he had his surgery yesterday, so I'm playing nursemaid today. Just kind of stuck at home with him today. He did ask me, do you want to go somewhere today? And I said, where? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just trying to be a good husband. I know you don't like being cooped up in the house. I mean, does he feel well enough to go somewhere? No. He's in a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. So he did he want you to go by yourself or did he was he trying to no, go with you? He was going to go with me, I guess. And I'm like, you Is just he still had on the surgery. <laughs> I, I mean, mister, I don't want to go anywhere. And he's like, I said, you just had surgery yesterday. Where would we go? I'm like, I have nothing scheduled this week because I knew I was taking care of you. He's like, okay, I was just going to offer. So that was sweet. That was sweet of him. But yeah. We're having a thunderstorm. I don't know if anybody, if you hear thunder during the podcast, that's why. It's got a lot of rain. It just started to pour. So, But the fun news here, we have fleas. So I've been dealing with that all day. It's all just really, really glamorous at my house. You know, when you're a <laughs> podcaster and a writer, you can <laughs> Yeah, the whole, Sherry, you know, the, the whole saga of our fleas. But our son, Will, he's 21 and... He was keeping dogs for a friend. I mean, I don't know. I'm so glad I'm not at that age where you're like, <laughs> I'm keeping some dogs for a friend. I'm like, what? What? So he was keeping some dogs for a friend at his house. And the friend never came back. We had to find homes for those dogs, by the way. But the dogs were bad house guests in that they brought their fleas. And so then Will's cat got fleas, like big time fleas. And then Will brought the cat over to our house. And I was like, um, this cat is overrun with fleas. So I gave it a flea bath in our tub upstairs. But in the meantime, I think it gave them to our cat. So I've just been at the beach for almost three weeks. And now we are overrun with fleas while I was gone. I guess no one looked at the cats while I was gone. So I probably would have noticed a little sooner. I'm not sure. But oh, my God, Ellie had them all over her like little hind end. Oh, Poor little girl. She was all licking, licking, scratching, scratching. So I've done six loads of laundry today and good times. Well, this is fun news. In a couple of weeks, Jen and I are going to interview a veterinarian from our community and uh, talk about all things animals, pets. Yeah, that will be fun. We could talk about fleas. (laughs) (laughs) And that it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you've got fleas at your house. (laughs) No, just like it doesn't mean you're a bad person if your kid brings home lice. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's such a taboo thing, and I don't even understand why. My daughter had it three times in grade school. Yeah, it happens. So just one of those things that happens when you have kids and animals. I made it all the way through 28 years of teaching and never once had lice. 
That's amazing. Yeah. But I also did not let children touch my head very much. So <laughs> anyway. Oh, goodness. Well, every week we start our show with our good news segment. And today we have a customer service shout out from Mo in Oklahoma. And I love customer service shout outs. Me too. She writes, hi, Jen and Sherry. I wanted to give props to Adina Lopez with the Salsa El Gallo Company in West Laco, Texas. And I'm sorry if I butchered any of that. For her absolutely amazing customer service. At 52 years of age, my experience with her and her company is probably the best I have ever had when it comes to exemplary customer service. I ordered a variety of 10 salsas from them, and the order promptly arrived, but it was incomplete with only four salsas. I emailed the company at 4.24 p.m. on July 30th to inquire about the remaining six salsas, and I received a phone call and an email before 5 p.m. Ms. Lopez apologized for the incomplete order and told me the rest of my salsas would be shipped out the next day. I told her that we were leaving for a week-long vacation and asked if the shipment could be mailed after we returned from our trip. She said yes, she'd make a note of it and have it shipped out in a week. A few days after we returned, the rest of my order came. I was halfway expecting to have to call the company and remind them to send the rest of my order. Ms. Lopez exhibited such integrity when she followed through with what she said she would do. What a wonderful thing to experience a company that responded so quickly, accepted responsibility for their mistake, and went above and beyond to make it right. If you like spicy, authentic, home-style Mexican salsas and great customer service, I highly recommend Salsa El Gallo. And Jen actually got to try one of their salsas at the beach. Yeah, I've had their salsa at the beach, sitting at the outside dining table. Sherry made me a fabulous dinner one night. And it was good. Yeah, they have amazing salsa. So give them a try. You can find them at uh, salsaelgallo.com. And that's G-A-L-L-O for the gallo, for for those of you that may not know. (laughs) S-A-L-S-A salsa, E-L-G-A-L-L-O.com. We'll be in the show notes. Yes. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about Beauty Counter. When researching for my new book, Cleanish, which is currently available for pre-order and coming out on January 4th, I realized that I had been the victim of what's called greenwashing for years Greenwashing is when a company has product labels that make the items seem clean or green, but really they're hiding behind meaningless marketing speak on those labels. So instead, we want to make sure that we buy products from companies that are committed to safe and clean products, which is why I love Beauty Counter. I consider my Beauty Counter makeup and skincare products to be an investment in my good health. You know, I really do care what I I put on my body and our skin is our largest organ and what we put on goes in to our bodies. So one thing that I love about Beauty Counter is that each item lasts a really long time. Would you agree with that, Sherry? It Absolutely. Yes. That's something I try to explain to people when they say it's more expensive than drugstore brand. Well, it is. It is. However... It's so like rich and emollient that you don't need a lot of any of the products because a little goes a long way. And so it lasts so much longer. 
Exactly. And so, you know, I just, I'm still on my first bottle of Skin Twin Foundation, and I still have like over half of it left. So you just put it on very sparingly, but it's lasted me forever. So if you're new to Beauty Counter and you don't know where to start, I recommend their Flawless in 5. It has six high-performing products, and you get to choose your shades. There's a foundation, a concealer. You get either a brow pencil or gel. My favorite mascara I've ever used, the Think Big mascara, you get blush and you get lip gloss. And brand new customers save 20% on your first order. Then over time, you can slowly add to your beauty counter collection, especially when they have really good sales, like they just had a good sale like last month. But when they have a really good sale, that's when you stock up. That's when I stock up. (laughs) I've added to my collection over time. And my transition is actually now complete from my shampoo to my conditioner to my makeup, my skincare, and even my deodorant. So check it out at jenstevens.com slash beautycounter or beautycounter.com slash jenstevens. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about a super important subject, and that is personal boundaries. This is a topic that many members of our Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry Facebook group have asked for help with. Having the ability and know-how to set healthy personal boundaries allows us the ability to say no to things that do not support our own personal care needs, our physical and mental health needs, and having personal boundaries are, is a building block for healthy relationships. While reviewing submissions for our self-care isn't selfish episode that we had in April, we discovered that so many people who wrote to us struggle with self-care because they don't feel worthy of taking that important time for themselves, or they struggle to tell other people no in order to make time for themselves. Several weeks ago, we had the opportunity to sit down with Mary Joy, a licensed therapist and author of Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0. And after we finished recording that episode, I asked her if she would be willing to come back and visit with us again to discuss the subject, and she readily agreed. So welcome, Mary. We are so glad to have you back with us. So glad to be back, Sherry and Jen. You're, you're fine. I feel like we're, <laughs> we're chatting with an old friend today. Yes, that is how it felt. We talked for like 10 minutes before we started recording. What's it to be? Exactly. (laughs) While I was doing just a little bit of research on this subject, it was funny. I typed in like boundaries into Google and you know what came up was a course that you did for the Daily Ohm. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So then I looked and saw that you had several courses on the Daily Ohm. I love that. If you guys don't know what Daily Ohm is, it's a website. It's dailyohm.com. And they offer hundreds of courses on like so many subjects that are like mental and physical health. They're just short self-help courses. Like they have a yoga course. They have courses for women. I mean, really anything. And there you decide what you pay. You make like a donation. I think it's like five, 10 or $30 or something. And then you get course material. Usually every day it's delivered over the course of like two to three weeks or something. So I did look through a couple of the courses you had and they looked excellent. Yes. The Daily Om is a wonderful resource. It has it really, it's just a body, mind, spirit website. That's what it's for. It's got something for everyone. I love working for them. They're wonderful. Well, so when we talked to you before about codependency, I thought 100% at some point during that recording, you were going to start talking about boundaries. And not one time did it come out of your lips. But after we recorded, I asked you, like, where does boundaries come into play? And you're like, oh, it's right. It's right there. So talk to us today. Just give us a little, explain to people who really don't even understand what boundaries are. Give them a short, brief rundown of that. Everybody hears the word boundaries, and it sounds like walls, 
and fences and keeping people out. But I would define it as boundaries are to keep you safe and protected. It's all about the gate. It's not about building a wall around yourself. It's about who do you let in and out of the gate of your life? I really love the way you put a positive spin on things. Yes. Well, it really is that. And I actually did that. I used to live in Tennessee. I lived there for a long time and I had three horses and I was in graduate school and I went out there and I didn't understand boundaries at all either. All I heard from professors and from people was just, just say no, just say no. I said, that's, that's, this can't be all there is to it or, you know, how to say no nicely or there's got to be more. And I said, oh, my gate was only accessed by people I trusted. It wasn't about the fence around the horses. That was there to protect them. That gate was the important part. The boundaries are all about who you let in and out of your gate. And I had a secret private back gate that nobody knew about. That's where you have to let the horses out if there's a storm or there's an emergency. Nobody knows about that gate and you hide it. So it's all about who you let in and out of your life for safety's sake and when. That's a great analogy. I think that makes it very clear. And also having the secret back gate too. <laughs> I yes. like that. Yes. Yes. Those private secret places that only you and maybe one other person know about and your horses know about it, but that's it. It's amazing to me how uncomfortable people get when you start talking about boundaries or when they see somebody who has strong boundaries and they are like, oh, that's, they'll say, that's mean. That's not nice. Why would you turn that person down? You know, it wouldn't take you, they'll guilt trip you even. It wouldn't take you that long if you just agreed and, or you're making it more difficult than you need to, that sort of thing. The funny thing is, is to me, that's a sign that they don't have good boundaries. (laughs) They don't have good boundaries because you having them makes them feel uncomfortable. Yes, they have encroached. They have encroached on your boundaries. And you it just feels like you're mean. It's, you're not being mean if you have boundaries. And you also, you know, I was talking to my cousin earlier today. Her name is Barbara Sorrentino, and she is so funny, and I adore her. And I was asking her what she thought boundaries meant. And she gave me the most beautiful addition to this conversation that we're having. She said, you know, you don't have to announce to people that you're making a boundary. You can quietly make it. You can just do it with words or make a boundary. Like if somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, it's just not possible. And I always use the gratitude sandwich. And I think we talked about that in the codependency thing, but it's like saying, thank you for thinking I can bake a hundred pies for your wedding. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it well, but thank you for thinking of me. That is the polite way to say no. And if they keep pushing at you, then it just makes you feel bad when you say no, but you have to, if people keep pushing at you, it's them that don't respect your boundaries. And then that's when you do have to set them. Will it feel rude at first? Yes, but you won't be exhausted when you set the boundary. And, you know, we're raised to be, you know, we're, we're three women and in, in our society from the South. And I mean, I know it's not, the same everywhere and maybe not in every family, but I know I was raised to be a good little girl. I wasn't always, I was sometimes a little naughty. I I wasn't always as compliant as I was expected to be, but because I, that's my personality, but we are raised to go along, say yes, 
do what's expected of you. Mm -hmm. And we're trained to do it. And I'm not being, I'm not being gender biased here, but especially women are taught to be pleasing because we are the natural born nurturers, you know, like primitive brain wise, we are, we're the natural born nurturers and we don't expect so much of men. If if a guy says no, we go, okie dokie then. All right. It's no. (sighs) And if a woman says no, oh my goodness, they, sometimes they call her names and, you know, it's like women aren't allowed. You're saying no. And when people do start setting boundaries, I remember when I started setting some of them and I told people, I didn't just write that book on codependency. I read it too. (laughs) I read it back. They don't applaud you. They don't. But again, I learned, I was, I still felt the guilt at first and it's systematic desensitization. You kind of say no and you practice it. And the more you do it and the more you rehearse it, the more natural it becomes, the less guilt you feel. And you're able to set them without feeling guilty. But truly, even if you feel guilty at first, just do it because you won't be guilty and exhausted. That I clearly spelled out in the book. You're going to feel guilty. It's a withdrawal symptom from codependency, but you won't feel guilty and exhausted or resentful or name another emotion that we've all had when we say yes, when we mean no, and no, when we mean yes. We brought up the fact that we see this a lot more in women than men, but something that I'm noticing, and I work with all ages, and I've been in healthcare for 20, goodness, 27 years now. More and more, we're having younger male nurses come into the field and stuff like that. But what I've noticed, I think, is that, you know, it used to be men were more they were more likely to say no and buck the system and and say no with an explanation. But I'm noticing that more and more men tend to be more people-pleasing and not have as strong as boundaries as maybe they did a generation ago. And I have to wonder if that's learned behavior or if it has anything to do with the fact that we have more like women-only households more divorce and kids being raised, you know, by their moms without a strong father figure, not, not having the strong. That's a good point. That's mm-hmm. always, it's interesting. I'm just, you know, I'm a people they're watcher. They're researching I, it yet. They're researching it right now. They're talking about a sexual evolution, not the revolution, but an evolution <laughs> is that men are becoming more nurturing and women are becoming more assertive. And we're seeing it in younger generations because it may be survival of the wisest. And if the, if the genders can get along better, then society will do better. So that's one school of thought. The others is just what you said, Sherry, is that, is it learned? It may be. Yeah. What do you think, Jen? I, I do. I mean, I think that it's learned and becoming evolutionary. I mean, it is, you know, I think you're right. I think it is, our society is shifting in so many ways. You know, we're giving everyone a voice. Boys are, quote, allowed, you know, to have more emotions than they they had been. And just the way the way that the, the society is very different. So that's an excellent point. Yes. So we went to our Facebook community and I said, hey, if you were to speak to a professional about boundaries, like what would be the number one question you would have regarding them or how to establish them? And so we have a few of those questions for you today. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'll let Jen start. Okay. We have two that are similar. And so I'll read them both. The first one says, can you share tips for curing or at least managing the disease to please? And the second one was, if I'm not, quote, nice, because basically I'm a people pleaser, then I always get, what's wrong with you today? 
Are you tired, sick, mad at me? No, I just don't want to do what you're asking me. But I've always had trouble saying no to most things, work or personal help. Wow. Great question. Disease to please. Remember, disease comes from dis-ease. It's not easy to break a dis-ease. The disease to please. People pleasing, you're pleasing everyone but yourself. And people know it. And people take advantage of people pleasers. And also, oh, don't shoot the messenger here. I had to hear this message myself. In truth, when you are pleasing somebody else, you aren't relieving their need. You're relieving your anxiety over not meeting their need. Oh, that's huge. It's a twisted system. Mm-hmm. It's not their need you're meeting. It's your feelings of guilt and anxiety if you don't meet their needs because you've been programmed like a computer chip to, okay, that default button got pushed. I must meet that need. And if I don't, oh, I just feel terrible and guilty, really, really guilty. Uh, again, these are learned traits. And is there a cure for them? Yes, repetition. You learn this by repetition. You get out of it by repetition. That's how conditioning is done. Like Pavlov's dog. I think we've all heard about the dog. They rang the bell and then they just, all they did was ring a bell and then it started salivating. They didn't even have to feed the dog. So a lot of us women are being, uh, we're hearing the bell ring and, and it's just a bell. It's only a bell. Like it's a test. It's only a test. So the more you pay attention to your body. Awareness. Yes. I look at that question, that second one, and I wonder if some of her resentment for being a people pleaser is coming through and, and that's like maybe she's not meaning to because she she gets, you know, what's wrong with you today when she's trying to stand up for herself. So maybe she's, she's you know, she's feeling resentful and that's coming across instead of just owning the no and saying, no, I can't. You don't have to feel bad when you say no or resentful that they've asked. Well, even if you do feel bad, when you get conditioned, you can uncondition yourself. And you're going to feel bad for a while. It's a withdrawal symptom. Just consider it like that as you're getting used to a new behavior and you're retraining your brain to say no. And then when people say, what's wrong with you? Just say, nothing's wrong with me because it isn't. Now, something's right with me. I'm learning to say no, to be confident. Be confident in your no instead of feeling, you know, because if you come across, if you're edgy about your no, it might come across as what's wrong with you, you know, but instead just be like, no, I can't, I just can't. And that gratitude sandwich, I think would stop that, you know, thank you for thinking of me because then they're, they know there's nothing wrong with you. You've been polite, right? (laughs) And you know, Jen, I just thought of something when you said that people ask what's wrong with her. She's probably answering, she's probably saying no with fear on her face. It's probably a nonverbal cue. Right. I, I mean, she's probably not confident enough with her no that she's communicating nonverbally with body language, with her expression, maybe the, just the tone of her voice, that she's uncomfortable saying what she's saying. So, you know, as you said, it's rehearsal, you work on it, it gets better so that when you say no, it's not scary to say it. Exactly. So yes, I get in that term, there will be a cure and it's sort of like any other cure. You don't just take one antibiotic and fix it. You've got to take the whole course. (laughs) So you can't just do it once. So I love it when three heads get put together because yes, her mirror neurons are probably showing. She's probably going, um, no, I just, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, or something like that. And they're like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Or she's irritated that they're asking her and putting her on the spot, right? So she might be like coming across irritable or maybe she's irritated with herself because she doesn't want to do it and she thinks she should. 
Oh, could, should have. Right. So like we said, like awareness, like, okay, they just asked me to do something. And then really checking in with yourself. Like, what do I want to do in this situation? Can I do this? Do I want to do this? And then, I mean, take a minute. Don't answer somebody immediately. Say, um, let me get back with you on that. And then really sit with your feelings on it and figure out what works for you. What supports what you need? And then come up with your response so that you don't feel put on the spot and then get back with them. It's like 100% okay to say, give me a minute. Let me get back with you. Exactly. There is an exercise that I do and I do it with people who can't say no. And I was one of those people. So I really know it's a vagus nerve exercise. So without giving anyone a neuroscience lecture, just look up V-A-G-U-S and your vagus nerve is, we all know about fight, flight, and frozen. That's a, that's your autonomic nervous system. But that vagus nerve, that's where you get your gut feelings. That's where you just, oh, that takes my breath away. So the same thing that takes your breath away at the Grand Canyon is the same thing that takes your breath away when somebody asks you for a thousand dollars that you don't have. It's like, you know, you may feel it in your chest. So if you pay attention to those vagus nerve responses and reactivity that you have, just what you said, Sherry, you can, I tell people you pay attention to your tension and with intention, seek by taking a breath and then speak your truth. Not just these knee jerk, oh yeah, I can do it. Well, maybe I can. Well, maybe I can't. Do you see it? You go into that over explaining, over sharing, over caring. Just say, yes, exactly what you said, Sherry. Just, I need a minute to think about whether I can do that or not. I'll get back to you. And then you bought, you bought yourself time too. Yes. That's important. Let me go check my schedule. <laughs> Even if you know it's completely free, it's not lying. It's protecting yourself and then you won't get resentful. And then you can do it over the phone. So you're once removed from it. Just anything to buffer you. Right. So two listeners had sort of similar questions. And it, this one person said, I understand how to set boundaries, but how does one respond when people do not respect them? And the second person said, how do I politely enforce boundaries with someone who is a know-it-all, even about things in my field of work, telling me what to do, telling me I'm wrong when they are incorrect, not me. That would be frustrating. Sounds like a narcissist to me. <laughs> yes. And they have no respect for boundaries. No respect at all. So you can politely just shake your head or you can say, I'm aware of that. Or thank you for sharing. I'm a professional in that field too. Or I, I understand that. Or it's, again, the person's going to feel guilty. They are. They're going to feel guilty. But someone's a know-it-all and really like just hammering, like all three of us are sharing. None of us are acting like know-it-alls. We're putting our heads together to help other people help themselves. None of us knows it all. But if somebody does, I remember one time, and it's funny because I'm from Florida and I was in Nashville and somebody spent a half an hour telling me about alligators <laughs> <laughs> and how they act and what they do. And I sat there, I was so young and had no idea what boundaries were. And I let them do it. And then finally, after 30 minutes, I said, well, I'm from Florida. I'm aware of that. And the person said, why didn't you tell me that? So <laughs> it, it just feels rude to say something. It's okay to say, I am fully aware of that. And to state why you're fully aware of it. It sounds cocky, but like Jen said, it's confident. You know, if you're in healthcare, you say, yes, I know what antibiotics do, or I know what this kind of medication does. I'm in healthcare. I'm in this branch. It's it just it just feels rude, 
but it isn't rude. It just feels rude to say no because you've been taught not to. But when you practice it, it doesn't feel rude anymore. It feels liberating, actually. Right. And and knowing you know what you said, that we have, have to have the confidence to say something like, yeah, I, I did actually know that. Or like the second person, if, if someone's telling you you're wrong when actually you know they're wrong, I always find that saying, can we look that up? Yeah. <laughs> or so, you know, let's look that up. That's Let's good check it. Let's, let's check that. Let's, but that's the teacher in me because, you know, I taught gifted kids and they always felt like they knew stuff, right? And they didn't because they were little and they'd be arguing with me, the teacher. And I'm like, let's look that up. Yeah, and then you don't have to be the one telling them. Yes, that's a buffer. What a great buffer. Boy, the, you know, it, it's one thing to be raised in the South. It's another thing to use it to your advantage, which that's exactly what you just did. You've created a buffer. That's, um, I've got a gift doing all that. You do, because that creates a buffer like the gratitude sandwich. It creates a buffer like hitting the pause and saying, I'll get back to you. It's a buffer between what you really want to say and how you can approach it diplomatically and politely. You can use, go to, go to Google. Let's let, let's check and be sure. Cause I could be Instead wrong. Of like, you are just so wrong. <laughs> and the first question where she said, how do you respond when people don't respect your boundaries? My answer is walk away. Like you can be invited to an argument, but it doesn't mean you have to attend the argument. Right. So if I say, you know, if I give you my answer to something and you try to sway me or get me to change my mind or whatever, I'm just going to be like, look, I've already told you what my answer was. If something changes, I will let you know. Like, but that's it. And again, that comes down to confidence to know that, you know, my needs are valid and like, I hear what you want me to do, but that doesn't work for me. So toodles. Yes. I often say things like I'm overextended. I'm spread too thin. And then as the last dip diplomatic effort, usually before the no comes, I'll say, I could not do a good job for you. I'll take the heat. You know, like I could not do what you wanted to. I couldn't do it well. Therefore, I'll have to say no. And if they keep at you, then then you just you you've already built up the frustration, and you just say no. Honestly, I can't. Also, body language. We, we we're on podcasts here, but holding your hand up in front of your face is very effective when you say no in front. It's because you're not putting it in front of their face, which is kind of rude. You just and then you can smile and walk away. That is very common. I assign people to go watch presidents leaving the podium. It doesn't matter which president you choose. It's not about politics. It's about body language. They all have a way of walking away from that podium and taking no more questions. And a lot of them will put their hand up. They'll smile and wave just like the penguins from Madagascar. It's like a, it's <laughs> like your stop sign. Thank you. Goodbye. Yes. Bye. No, I'm working. <laughs> they smile and wave. Love it. Practice that, everyone. That's also Southern. Yes, it like is. On... Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Smiling and like waving. You know, like, like a, a Southern bell. Bye, y'all. Yes. Hightail exactly. it out of there. Got it. Yeah, yes. I used, to, I used to live in Manhattan and everybody honks their horn and they scream at you in traffic. And I would smile and wave. And this was long before the Penguins of Madagascar came out. That's what I did in Manhattan. And it would confuse them so much that I had enough room to squeeze it. <laughs> She's crazy. She must be crazy. Let her in. She'll hit my car. Culture has something to do with being able to say no. 
And that is what I love about being in New York. In New York, they said no. Yes, they said what they meant. And I, I, I said, this is, this is not a bad skill. You know how you stand. There's no bless your heart up there. Yeah, it's an assertive culture. Yes. All right. So we have another one. This is um, this is a totally different kind of a situation. Um, the person says, I knew someone who said he was, quote, protecting his boundaries when it actually felt as if he was just steamrolling his family and friends into doing things his way. I eventually gave up and walked away from him, wanting absolutely nothing to do with him ever again, as apparently did his two sons and his ex-wives. Maybe if the professional, and that's you, Mary, can define what it really means to have boundaries versus being a my way or the highway slash energy vampire. I'd like to really understand the concept in case it's my thinking that's flawed. So is that somebody she's talking about who's misusing the concept of protecting boundaries to really just steamroll people? That's the answer. That's the answer. I wish people could see all three of us shaking our heads. Yes. (laughs) That is the answer. <laughs> Narcissists will announce their boundaries. Oh my goodness. They that they announce them. I'm cutting you off. That's also a symptom of borderline personality disorder. We don't have to go down that path, but they're on the same spectrum of a uh, cluster of disorders and they will, oh my goodness, they will cut you off and then bring you back in that intermittent reinforcement. Oh, okay. Now, now you can do this. Now you can't. No, that's not how you live. It's it's mutual respect of boundaries. Their quote boundaries are really manipulation and control. Absolutely. And they're under the guise many times of saying things like misappropriating a word like boundaries to their benefit. Because really, does anybody say, please respect my boundaries? That's not how you get your boundaries respected. And you know, say I'm protecting my boundaries. I mean, occasionally, if some, I mean, just jokingly, if someone will ask me something really personal, I'll say boundaries, please. You know, just like in a, you know, in a diplomatic, funny way, and smile. But nobody announces their boundaries; they just make them. Right. I have very strong boundaries, and I have never said. You are treading on my boundaries. <laughs> like, no, no. <laughs> or I'm setting a boundary with you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That like would be very cousin, weird. It's like what my cousin Barbara said. You don't announce it to them. You just you just make just it known it. through. Yes, just do it. Yeah. So I think that really this listener that wrote that already knew in her heart that that was not really what that was. When you feel that someone's energy energy vampire, you know it. You know you don't need people to tell you. You you feel it. You know it. And trust your gut. That's what we're all three saying to you here. Trust your gut and that, that you're on the on the mark. I know where she's coming from. When you've dealt with a narcissist, they leave you. They can walk out of the room and you thought you knew what was up when they walked in the room. But when they walk out of the room, you're like, am I crazy? Exactly. Now, <laughs> that's lately. a narcissist. Yes. The number one symptom of narcissistic abuse is self-doubt. Because they use that intermittent reinforcement. The person that is dealing with the narcissist feels so much self-doubt because they're like, what just happened? Yes. You totally thought you knew what end was up at the beginning of a conversation. And when the conversation ends, you're left going, what do I know? Yes. It's like they, they, they do something horrible to you. You confront them about it. And then they say, well, it's your fault. That's why you never ask a narcissist a question. You don't ask them, why are you so mean? Because they'll say, it's your fault. 
You don't ask them any questions because this may help her with the boundaries. You don't say, why do you have boundaries like this? Just say, well, your boundaries are not congruent with my needs. <laughs> so <laughs> it's incongruent. <laughs> so this next one, I think every single person can relate to. I think we all have that family member. So she asks, what are some strategies when a family member who has a very different view belittles and name calls other family members who hold different views? When you love or are related to someone and you don't want to end the relationship, how can you reinforce a boundary and prevent the family member from ruining family gatherings with loud tirades on the issue of the day? Wow. I am not going to sugarcoat this. That's almost impossible. It's hard. I've been in the re- the receiving end of that with someone that, and yeah, it, it's really hard. And I just kept saying, I really don't want to talk about this with you. This is not going well. We're never going to agree. Let's just move on. And I had to just leave. Yes. you. Re- those are the times you walk away. You don't run away. You walk away. If somebody's lobbing fiery tennis balls at you and you're just trying to keep shooting them back, nothing can happen if you walk off the tennis court. Game over. You just have to walk away. Those are times. Also, you could form allies with people and not like a really an intervention. It's not like a narcissistic intervention because those don't work. They just don't work either. But you could have allies. Just say, you know, chill. Just be nice. You're not going to change anyone's mind here. This is a family gathering. Let's just get along. And the best way to deal with a narcissist, and you can navigate them. You really can. Because sometimes you can't go no contact. I don't like that no contact rule because it's impossible with family, friends, co-parenting, bosses, you name it. We, we all know them and there's plenty of them out there. It's like it's like going in the ocean and saying that you don't want to see any sharks out there. Well, you don't see them, but they're there. Right. You know, you're going to run into a narcissist eventually. They're going to get close to you, even if you're not aware of it. So the best way to navigate them is to lower your expectations of them and higher your expectations of yourself. And that's just what we've been talking about today is self-confidence, meaning you confide in yourself. Because if you have self-confidence, they're not likely to challenge you very much. If you get very quiet, if you start yelling back, they've got you. They do that. Oh, they got you. They use your own anger against you. They talk over you. Then you talk over them. Then they talk over you. And then all of a sudden they're saying, why are you screaming? You're such a crazy, you know what? Right. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. And they got you. And then they're happy and you're upset going, what just happened there? Well, they set you up to get you upset. And it's 100% okay to say, I'm not going to have this conversation with you today. I don't want to have this conversation with you. I would love to spend time with you, but let's talk about something else. And if they can't talk about something else and they want to persist, I mean, you are well within your rights to leave or to ask them to leave. Yes. And, and somewhere in our society, we've lost, and I don't know if it's social media, I have no idea what it is, but we've lost some sacred subjects. You know, we've lost something, you know, politics, religion, preferences, things, you know, personal things, our personal lives. There's things that, sure, it's good to talk about things, but not everything to everyone. And somehow people don't honor these sacred subjects anymore. And one of my favorite ways to get out of a political conversation without you even knowing, there's doesn't matter how a person feels. I just tell them, James Carville and Mary Madeline had been married for 20 years, and he was the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. She was the spokesperson for the Republican Party, and they've been married 
successfully and happily for 20 years. Exactly. So if they can get along, we can get along. They live under the same roof. I do I do think it's social media and I never once saw someone bully someone into changing their mind on social media. Not one time, you know, and <laughs> not one time. And, and that's what, one of the reasons why I left Facebook completely, just because I'm like, this is not productive, right? <laughs> no, too much discord. And we when you, we use musical terms for that, it's lack of harmony, it's discordant. You know, we need discussions. We need to listen to one another's viewpoint instead of waiting to tell ours and tell them how we feel and this is how you should feel. No, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And especially if you ask someone about religion, even if they're in the same religion as you are, they see it through a different filter. So just allow people to be themselves. And that's a, that's the best thing about boundaries. If you are around people who let you be yourself and they allow you to be yourself, they're themselves, you're yourself. That is healthy boundaries because you can say, I don't talk about that. Is that okay if we don't talk about that? That's a touchy subject for me. Whatever that subject may be, they'll respect it. That's a healthy relationship. And if you don't have one, like Jen and Sherry both said, walk away. Don't run away. Don't scream away. Don't put your fit away. Just go, you might want to smile and wave and walk away. <laughs> or just say, oh, I... Oh, someone's calling my name. Or, what, what, or like, um, what was that Seinfeld where George, George's parents were like, Chinese food? Yeah. They pretended that someone was at the door. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. the, the code my husband uses whenever he's done with a phone conversation. He'll say Chinese food, like on Seinfeld. Yes. And I hope people realize you can be humorous about this. You can use humor. Humor is uh, one of the oh, finest deflections. Someone's at the door. Got to go. <laughs> Yes. And Jerry Seinfeld also hangs up on himself. Like he, he said, if a telemarketer calls, he just starts talking and hangs up on himself. Like, yes, I would love to buy your product and just hangs up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, thank God for caller ID. It helps set a boundary for us, which brings me to one last thing here about a boundary. I many times tell people that have trouble with that. Our cell phone is, gets us in the most trouble, right? Who's calling and sets off that reactivity. I put stops. I send them to clients that I work with. I put a stop sign on their screensaver. I send them a picture of one because then when they, that's the first thing they see when they answer that phone. So they go, I don't have to, I can stop. I don't have to answer this call. I can give it five minutes before I'm prepared to answer this call. So go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to throw that in there as another way to set a boundary on your phone, a visual. Oh no, that's a good one. You know, that cell phone is in your hand and you feel like you have to respond immediately, but you don't. No, if you're shopping, if you're at the grocery store, I don't answer. I tell people, but why didn't you answer the phone? I was at the grocery store. <laughs> I was in the checkout line or, you know, I was, I was walking the dogs. Today I told Sherry, I'm at the bank. Yeah, yes, and that's okay. <laughs> she said, I'll get back with you later. I'm at the bank. And I'm I at the bank. Great. Awesome. Because I respect your boundaries. That's right. And I, I, I didn't was confident. say, no, that is not acceptable, Jen. I need to know right now. <laughs> <laughs> do we have time for one more, do you think? This next one's a good one. Yes. All right. So this listener says, my main boundary struggle is with how to honor my parents, but still prioritize my husband and children. One parent feels quite needy to me, but maybe I'm being hard-hearted. Neediness in relationships makes me want to run top speed in the opposite direction. And with three young children, I feel like I don't have much emotional energy to spare. 
but I don't want to overlook legitimate needs that my parents have. That's a tough one, isn't it? That's why they call them the sandwich generation. They're sandwiched in between raising small children and taking care of older parents. That will create compassion fatigue. That's almost a, you have to set a very clear boundary. You have to. And if someone's an adult, unless they're really incapacitated for some reason, you just say, I, I love you, mom and or dad, but I have little tiny children who can't drive cars and you can, they can't go to the refrigerator and you can, whatever that parent can do, point that out to them. They may need help and they're probably not going to get it. That's infringing. I'd love to hear from you both about that, especially you with children. For me, I mean, I haven't lived in this situation exactly, but I have known people who have very needy parents and they often manipulate them into stopping everything they're doing to pay attention to their current drama. And I'll, I'll say to them, do you notice that every time your mom calls, she never asks you how you are, how the kids are, if you're busy, if you have time to take a phone call, she just launches into whatever her drama of the day is and wants you to listen to her for 45 minutes and help her solve this problem. And she feels like she has to. And I said, no, tell her that you only have so much time in the day that you're happy to talk to her. Tell her that, you know, this is the time that works for me. You can call me at this time and I can take your phone call at this time or on this day of the week or whatever. And let her know when are you available to her and what kind of time constraint do you have on your phone call? And then you can say, mom, remember, we only have 20 minutes today. So you're going to have to get to the really important stuff. Yes. Yes. And parents get jealous of, I mean, parenthood is not sainthood. It is not. And you can honor your parents. It doesn't say you have to love them or like them. You can honor them, but they're grown. And if they're not incapacitated, and even if they are, you may have to seek outside help. I know when I was taking care of my parents before they passed away, I had to cry uncle and get help. I mean, assisted livings or you know people to come in the house. I just couldn't do it all for everyone all the time. And that's exactly how some of this codependent stuff came around. My mother was very angry with me one day and she said to me, well, you can do anything. And I said, I can, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. That is so powerful. And so there's a guy named Albert Ellis who had called talked about the tyranny of shoulds, oughts, and musts. He actually called it masturbation. I hope that's okay to say on your show. It's not. You can edit it out. But that's what he called it because he said people would get neurotic, which is the old school word for anxious, when they would should have to need to must that same thing about boundaries. That's all about it. You really don't have to do. If you thought about what you really have to do, as opposed to what you think you have to do, it's a lot less than you'd imagine. And that might help people too, to make a bullet point list. Like I do in my book, like what you don't want and what you do want. You can make a list of what I really have to do, what I don't really have to do. I do have to feed my children. I don't have to answer the phone call when I'm buying cereal at the grocery store to feed my children from mom. I don't have to answer that phone call. I can call her in 10 minutes. Exactly. And, you know, setting a boundary feels so powerful when you set it and you wonder why you didn't do it sooner. Like, you know, a big example from my life is when I left Facebook. You know, I had very large Facebook communities and I felt like I was obligated to be there from the minute I woke up till the minute I went to bed and it was really running my life and I wasn't having a good quality of life. 
and you know I was helping people right and it I, how could I not do that I, I I had to help them and when I realized how much it was really impacting my quality of life and decided to walk away I set that strong boundary and said all right this is it I'm I'm doing something different now and it was hard hard to to say it hard to come out with it and it was but it felt so freeing but that that's just you know an example from my life and I just had to stick with it and say here's my new boundary I'm not available 24-7. In fact, I'm not even there anymore. I, I had to walk away. The digital detox. I love it. Exactly. It made such a difference. Yes, it does. And you didn't announce it either. You didn't get on Facebook and go, I'm setting a boundary and getting off Facebook. That's not what you did. Well, I, I did. I said, I'm leaving Facebook. Goodbye. <laughs> Here's my blog post. Right. right. But, but you didn't just say, I'm setting it and leaving it and goodbye. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I explained it and talked about it. And, and it was just, it was a necessary boundary for me. And, and I had to do it. And, and then people were like really mad about it and upset about it. And you know, they did not want me to set a boundary. They wanted me to be available 24-7. And and like, I appreciate that. I love that people, you know, were looking to connect with me all the time, but I couldn't do it anymore. And so in your own life, what can you not do anymore? You've got to let it go. That's a perfect way. What can you not do? There is toxic positivity. Everybody says, think positively. If you don't embrace the negative things in your life and recognize them, you cannot neutralize them. You have to recognize what you don't want in order to know what you do want. And that's how boundaries are made. I don't, I wouldn't say that's how you set them, but that's how you make them. What do I want to do? What do I have to do? A dear friend of mine said, it's between the want to do's and have to do's. You know, is this a want to do or a have to do? And and I wanted to help. I want to help people. So, but it turned from wanting to help to having to do it to having no time for myself to even like take a shower without my phone in my hand, you know, anymore. And so, just just making that change and and realizing, okay, this is this is a healthy boundary I have to set. And you know, people can. It didn't ruin my life to to walk away from that. Or I was like, is this going to ruin everything? No, it didn't. It made my life richer. No, and you can reopen it. I mean, sometimes, and I've done digital detoxes too. I'll just say, I'm leaving Facebook for a while. And you know, you won't see me on here for a while. And then I just leave and I just have, I'll come back later. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm writing a book, no Facebook for me, no telephone. Yes. I have a set schedule. I do that. And everybody around me knows that it's not that don't bother me when I'm writing. They can't bother me because I'm, I'm not answering anything. It's okay not to answer anything. And I'm going to guess, so we talked to you last time about codependency, and I'm going to guess that there's a bunch of people that are going to be listening to this podcast because they went boundaries. Oh, I need help with that. And I'm going to just take a stab that I bet half of them did not listen to the episode on codependency because they thought it did not apply to them. But I am going to guess that if you struggle with boundaries, you probably also struggle with codependency and you just don't know it. So back up to episode 37 and listen to our first recording with Mary, because I think you'll learn a lot from it. And then get a copy of her book, Codependency, Discovery and Recovery 2.0. And I will have a link for the book in our show notes for today. Yes. And I even put up there, every chapter has a meditation and don't let it scare you because there's not any that are over 10 minutes long. And I put YouTube videos up for every single chapter. So they're more of guided imagery to kind of keep you self-aware so you can self-care so you can better care for others. Because we all have a 
codependent bone. I mess up daily with something like that. It's a work in progress. It's and it's part of the process. So they can get help that way too. But yes, everybody suffers with a little bit of, of codependent behaviors, but just be self-aware so you can self-care so you can better care for others. I think that is the way to set a boundary and use diplomacy and humor and smile and wave, <laughs> smile and wave. <laughs> smile and wave. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Mary. I wish we could talk for another hour. Thank you. Smile and wave. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. On episode seven of this podcast, we spoke with Joel from Life Pro Fitness about whole body vibration therapy. With whole body vibration, you stand on a machine with a vibrating platform, and as the machine vibrates, it transmits energy to your body, forcing your muscles to contract and relax dozens of times each second. Emerging research shows that whole body vibration, when performed correctly, helps reduce back pain, aids in flexibility, and reduces joint pain, improves strength and balance, which is especially important in older adults, reduces bone loss, can improve mood and sleep, and improves the gut biome, which affects many body systems and can improve other health conditions. You use it up to 30 minutes a day, as little as 10. It's a really quick way to add some health to your life. We have partnered with LifePro to bring you a special deal on a LifePro vibration plate or anything that LifePro offers through their website. If you are interested in further exploring vibration therapy, go to livelessonscommunity.com forward slash life pro. And when you buy, use our special discount code for our listeners. Use the code life lessons, one word at checkout, and you will save 10% off your entire order. Next, we have a segment we call our listener led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today, we have dishwasher tips from Debbie. Debbie said, I just got a new dishwasher and learned a lot of things I never knew. Number one, you should run the garbage disposal before you run the dishwasher. Run it a couple of seconds before starting your dishwasher to ensure that no food or debris is preventing the proper drainage of water from your dishwasher. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Two, you should clean out the filter in your dishwasher monthly. And three, you should leave some food on the dishes so the detergent has something to attach to versus etching the dishes. Great tips. That's a good one. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Christy in Kansas. She wrote, this has been all over the internet, but it's so through, and I thought it would be great to share with listeners. It's a water bottle in the supermarket is worth approximately 50 cents. The same bottle in a bar is $2. In a good restaurant or hotel, it can be worth up to $3. And at an airport or on a plane, up to $5. The bottle is the same, the brand too. The only thing that changes is the place. Each place gives a different value to the same product. When you feel zero, like you're worthless, you behave worthless towards yourself. When everyone around you despises you, change places. Don't stay there. Have the courage to change your circle and go to a place where they give you the courage you deserve and consider you as you are. Surround yourself with people who really appreciate your worth. Value yourself enough that others will value you. Don't settle for less. That's such a great motivational quote, story, story, anecdote. I love it. It's a good one. I never really thought about that before, but it's true. Where you are determines your worth. Yeah, absolutely. 
So many times. Yep. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to join the podcast Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you'll get it every single week downloaded to your favorite podcast platform or app. We would also love for you to leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.